In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. The Lord Jesus, look at me now. Our Lord Jesus Christ will have nothing to do with surface faith. God wants men, he wants women full of the Holy Ghost, purified until they have no will. Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. In perfect unison with him. There's very little of the fear of God among today's Christians. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from their evil. Nobody's convicted of anything anymore. You live in an insane society, for there is no fear of God in their eyes. Nobody fears God anymore. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. I don't ask people if they're saved anymore. Who isn't saved? From the White House to the jailhouse. <clears throat> I look a person in the eye and say, does Christ live in you? And I want you to know that when you take a look at American Christianity, it is based more upon a godless culture than it is upon the Word of God. And you can't substitute the work of the Spirit of God with some little method of taking a verse out of context, getting them to pray a prayer, and then popishly declaring them to be safe. So that you can walk away with another notch on your belt. morning it's october the 7th 2022 this is tom richardson with the removing confusion international ministry i can truthfully say that we reach into many different nations at this point in time thankfully and i have to give credit to uh anchor podcasting platform which has allowed us to still be here (laughs) sometimes i wonder why we don't always line up with how the uh, ones out there that navigate through the internet, but you know, as long as you don't overstep your bounds and start talking about how vaccines kill or something, you'll be okay. Oh, did I say that out loud? Anyway, we're not going to go there. Um, I've kind of shied away in the recent days, as you may have noticed from totally bringing news and nothing but news it's just bad news and it's time for good news now what we've been doing and and i haven't really explained it some people understand it i've got friends i know that do uh that have been to churches and listened to pastors uh over the years who do what we call expository preaching or teaching I started this little escapade with First Peter. And I just felt, you know, there's no reason I picked it. It's not because it's only five chapters long or whatever and it's easy to go through. It's not easy. We've been working on this at the uh, podcast here for about five or six programs. And I haven't even left chapter one because it's so chock full of things that we can relate to in our lives. And uh, we've touched on some of those that aren't all that popular in the church today. They aren't some. And I'll, I'll recap some of it. First of all, your fiery trials. Gird up your loins of your mind and be sober. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revealing, the unveiling, his return. 
gird up the loins of your mind. We, we talked about that, I believe, in the last segment. That's battle talk. That's get yourself ready for fighting. Because before that revelation of Jesus Christ, there will be rough days. We already see them, and I can't, I can't imagine that uh, people can't really grasp this. Oh, it's going to get much worse, we've been told. Yeah, it will, and you better be ready for it. talked about the prophets and how they prophesied of the uh, salvation. They inquired. They searched diligently. They prophesied of the grace that should come unto us. It says you in the King James. I've changed a few words here and there because Peter was writing to a specific set of people. But when, when it comes right down to it, the people he was really writing to were all Christians from his point on. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. We Oh, he was just writing to the church at whatever. No, he was writing just as Paul was writing. These are revelations that they were given. These were things that were rested upon them by the Holy Spirit of God to write to everyone. And God preserved this, the, these documents in one way or another, through rewriting, 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 and these people were very meticulous about doing it correctly. Down through the centuries, we've found the Dead Sea Scrolls, which contain much of what we see in our New Testament. And, you know, some of those apocryphal books that are not like Enoch and whatever. We don't need to go there. But I'm just saying, Lord, why can't these people understand? If the first church went through what they went through. Why is it that we think we won't go through a fiery trial? That's all there is to it. Look at types and shadows. Look at how things are are delivered unto you. And we're going to pick up uh, uh, one of those rough statements. I said there's some rough statements in this Bible. In this, I should say in this chapter, and we'll pick up with them. I'm going to play a song. I've been doing this. If you like it, let me know. If you don't like it, let me know. But it breaks up the uh, the seriousness, the harshness of of some of the things that we have to talk about. And when we come back, I'm going to just touch on verse number 17, 16, 17, and then we're going to roll, okay? This is a song called Living in the Lion's Den by Three Bridges. I wonder what was going through Daniel's mind when he threw back the curtains, opened the blinds, knowing that morning he had a decision to make. Taste for men of faith 
song right there i try to pick some that have a good meaning behind them or some words if you listen to them kind of grab you you know daniel's issues and problems that arise are the same ones that we face today yet people think you know oh no we, we won't go through living in a lion's den you know or we won't have to put up with all the pain and suffering that our forefathers in the faith did. But the Bible is replete with that idea that we will, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will face persecution. Oh, we don't want to hear that. That's not, that's not good, lucky, happy stuff. And you know, when you look around on a Sunday morning, I don't know how big your church is. But when you look around, how many people do you notice aren't there anymore? Not because they've passed away or whatever, but they just don't come anymore to church. They stay out because holiness has never been preached. Uh, sanctification doesn't get preached. It's, it gets mentioned down and again, but it doesn't get hammered on. We, we get caught up as preachers do in certain things and they, they just roll on it and they keep rolling on it and they keep rolling on it until people just say, I've heard this already. I don't need to hear this anymore. Well, this preacher doesn't, doesn't enjoy that. I like, I, I, I write a message. I try to, wherever I go, I don't, I try not to do another, try not to do the same one over again. Um, unless it's asked of me. And then I'll, 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 uh, I'll tweak it a bit. I'll change a lot of what I brought the first time. Because you can take a verse of Scripture, dig deep into it, find out where it's uh, coming from, look at its, the Greek and the, or the Hebrew, whichever the case may be, and come up with that deeper meaning. You see, there's the surface meaning. Uh, look at First Peter one sixteen, Because it is written, Be ye holy as... I am holy. God said that to uh, the Israelites as they tramped around in the wilderness back in Leviticus. I think it's 1444, but I, I, I don't have the exact verse in front of my face right now. But, you know, because I said it, I'm going to check it. 1144. Of Leviticus 1144. Leviticus 19.2, Leviticus 27, and then Amos 3.3. 3. Can, th- can two walk together except they be agreed? That's the same thing. We Now, look, don't be holy on your own, or you'll be called holier than thou, or holier than ye, or holier than whoever. We have holiness because... We strive to be more like Christ. We strive in this flesh suit, which is a sinful suit because of the sins that have been placed in us, the the sin nature of Adam. 
I don't want to get too far off on that, but I, I, you understand. Those of you that have been around understand. We have a sin nature. We also, when we are born again, have a spiritual nature from God. These two natures are going to fight each other from the time you become a Christian until you die. Peter, I'm sure, fought with it. Paul fought with it. All the, all the apostles, all the church fought with it. Some of them lost that fight and went back to the world. And it's, it's revealed there in, in some of the books that Paul wrote where he talks about Hymenaeus and Philetus and uh, Alexander the coppersmith. These are people that worked with them, and then, I, then they didn't. They turned against them. Anyway, let's go on. I just like to touch on these things. Like I say, there's, there's things in this. I, I think it's why God led me to First Peter to start this whole new rolling, rolling back into what I'm uncomfortable with. I'm very comfortable with the Bible. Um, my, my buddy still sends me a lot of stuff and might keep sending it because I, I like to see what the world's doing too. I don't look at it as much as I used to. Although I will tell you this, you know, here's the state of the Western church. In, in 2021, a Baptist church, now this is what they call the American Baptist. There's so many different Baptists. The American Baptist Church in Oberlin, Ohio, which is up by Lorraine and up in Cleveland area of Ohio. If you're from Ohio, you know where I'm talking about. They had a, a, a pastor and his wife. Then she became a co-pastor. Now, most Baptists would say, uh-uh, she's just the pastor's wife. That's it. No, she's like Victoria Osteen now. She's the co-pastor or the pastorette, you know. So you come in for a sermonette from the pastorette so you can leave uh, and go smoke your cigarettes. That's what, I forget, it was Leonard Ravenhill or one of those guys used to use that analogy or Dave Wilkerson, love him, gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, but now, what happened? These people, you know, they retired or they moved on, and the church then picked up its first transgender pastor a man who while going through seminary which <laughs> i remember guys used to say cemetery i've been to the christian cemetery and i learned all the stuff that they wanted me to learn this guy in seminary decided to start the transition from man to woman which is actually we know that it's just it's it's all cosmetic and it's horrific, body-altering. You might as well go get tattoos all over your body, you know, or something, because it's the same thing. But they cut off things, and they do things, and you know, you know the deal. She, he, it, whatever, is now the pastor of that Oberlin, Ohio Baptist church, a church which has been there since the 1860s. I don't even think Ohio was a state until 1870, but I, I could be wrong. I don't, I'm not that great at my history. But there you go. You have, it's happening all over the place. How do they even come to that? I'll tell you how. They're not walking together with God. They are not in agreement with God, Amos 3.3. 3. They are not striving to be holy Let's read that again, verse 15 of our chapter. But he hath called you, he, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. We broke that down pretty good in the last go-round, so I'm not going to go deep on that. But conversation doesn't mean our talking. It means our manner of living, Exercise holiness. Move towards Jesus and away from the world. <clears throat> Verse 
Let's go on. Verse 17, we're going to go into, and if you, and if you call on the Father which hath res, with who, without respect of persons, judgeth according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here in fear. So, do you have to walk around shaking like a leaf because you're scared that God's going to smite you? No. But you should have that reverential fear just like you had of your earthly father who when you were told to do something and you didn't get it done and you heard the, the, the tires on the gravel in the driveway, you started to wonder, well, how's this going to turn out? Am I going to get whooped? We don't know. I mean, that's just the way it is. Sometimes dad might just yell at you, you know, and sometimes you're going to get whooped. Depends on how bad your mother pushed that button. Wait till your father gets home, you know. He has called us to be holy. For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus did nothing wrong. If you look at the Gospels, and I I think you really should, we should read those Gospels looking at what he did, and you can't find a thing wrong. And it wasn't because, oh, I'm not going to write the wrong things he did. No, he didn't do anything wrong. He was the epitome of holiness. He's the epitome of of righteousness he is a lamb without blemish and without spot he was the sacrifice foreordained from the well i'm reading i'm reading ahead who verily was which means truthfully was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you and i foreordained before the foundation of the world. God knew before he even founded the world that he was going to have to do this because he's God. He knew that he would create these humans. He knew that he could give them a choice, believe free will or not. They had a choice. Eat the fruit, don't eat the fruit. I'm going to tell you right now, don't eat the fruit. What happened? They ate the fruit. We can fight till the cows come home what the fruit was. But they ate it. A shiny, silvery, sleeky little dude showed up who had all the golden pipes that you could think of and you know, butter wouldn't melt in his mouth named the, the serpent. The serpent always comes to deceive. We should do a deep dive on deception someday. You can see deception everywhere you go. You can see deception in many of the pulpits of America as well as you can see it in the politics of America. Excuse me for just using America now. There's politics all over the world. Pulpits all over the world. So he was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was made manifest. He was brought to to four. He was brought to where we could see him as humans. We, we didn't, but those that were there at the time in these last times for us, for you, for the people of God. Who by him, there's a comma at the end of verse 20. Let's reread that a little bit. But was manifest by uh, was manifest in these last times for you who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead gave him glory and that your faith and hope might be in God. So the 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 manifestation the revelation the. Uh, flesh and blood appearance of Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the second member of the triunal 
uh, our Trinitarian Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, became a man who was then taken because he was faultless before God, was taken and to a kangaroo court and killed. Let's just get right down to the brass tacks for time. Taken to the cross, beaten, scourged, spit on, cursed at, denied, betrayed, and killed for nothing except your sins and mine and all other men ever. That's all he was here for. He went about doing good and righteous things. He, he, you know, look at that word righteous and just take out the, that first part, right. What are you called to? Are you called to be a sinner saved by grace? Yes, we are sinners saved by grace. But what happens after that salvific episode? Are you still a sinner saved by grace? Are you supposed to still go on sinning as much as you did before? Paul, I say this all the time. Paul said, God forbid. Now you are a saint given mercy. You've gone from just a sinner saved by grace to a saint saved by mercy. A saint under grace. You're supposed to live up to that. Don't live a life that, that, that puts God's name in vain. Oh, you th- I don't cuss God. Well, if you don't live for him and call yourself a Christian, if you're just out there doing whatever and your mouth says whatever it wants to and puts whatever it wants in it, cigarettes, pot, drinking, you know, and you know what? I, get, I can get in trouble for the cigarette thing. Many Christians smoke. And their pastor will tell them, well, that's part of our, you know, where we live. I, I lived in North Carolina. A pastor used to say that. Now, he didn't smoke, but many of the congregation, as soon as they walked out, whoop, they lit one up. It was like the old tree out in front of our high school that you were allowed to smoke at the edge of the parking lot off the property. And this tree died from all the smoking around it, I think, called the smoking tree. These guys did the same. They went down the steps and hit the tree, you know. But you shouldn't do it because people look at you and they say, well, you're a Christian. Why are you smoking? Why are you, why are you still letting that addiction hold you? Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is a perfect example of, of you're always an alcoholic. They never get you away from being an alcoholic. You go to the meetings. I'm an alcoholic. I'm, my name's, you know, Beauregard. I'm an alcoholic. If you've not drink, if you do not drink anymore, and you literally have quit, are you still an alcoholic? Here's the thing. As long as you're in the world, you're, you're, you're defined by those tags that they stick on you. In, in Christianity, you are a Christian. That should be a period. You were a sinner, comma, now saved by grace. You are now a saint living under that grace with the mercy of God upon you. Think about that. Let that mull over and pray on it. I, I, I really think I, I, you know, it bothers me to continually keep telling people, you're a sinner saved by grace. I'm, okay, that means I'm still a sinner. That means I'm looking to sin and get away with it. It sets something in our minds whether we like it or not, and we hear it from every preacher in the world, but you'll find a few that are that are that have gotten this revelation. And I, I I came to it a while back before I heard anybody else talk about it. Am I? Is that really what I want to go about saying? You know, I'm not afraid to say saint. I'll say a, a saint with some spots because I definitely have them. But with the blood of Christ which is what this passage here we're looking at today, he, he gave him glory. Who by him do believe in God that raised, up from the, raised him up from the dead and gave him glory? 
that your faith in mine and my faith in yours, your hope as well, might be in God. Our faith and our hope shouldn't might be, but should ought be in God. All right, being born again, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Boy, you can take that verse and just sit on it for days. Can't you? Think about it. I'm flipping notes, so ignore the paper. Crackling and crumbling and crinkling. But, you know, we believe in God because of Jesus. That's what it says. So when we get down there, what I just read, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. When we're born of our mothers and fathers, we are born as babies of corruptible seed. Even if they are Christians uh, born again themselves, we are born unto corruptible seeds. Corruptible just means seed that'll not last it'll it will go through a period of disrepair until it just completely turns to dust but when you're born again again we're going to go through it being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of god which liveth and abideth forever here you are you're being born again now again what what is that uh, and in, in John chapter 3, ye must be born again, Nicodemus, is what uh, Jesus Christ told Nicodemus. And Nicodemus blew his mind. Well, how does a man go back into his mother's womb when he is old? You, know, you, you think of as, uh, as the physical, the uh, fleshly idea, I'm talking to you of a spiritual rebirth. incorruptible now you and i in this life will fall apart our backs will hurt our legs will ache our eyes will dim our minds might not be as sharp as they were you can pray to god to sustain you in all those categories mine is definitely the eyes and the mind give me just let me carry that out don't let me go into the uh dementia of of uh, this this life lord please don't let me at least keep my mind about me let me be able to do what i'm doing right now which is preach the word expose the word in expository ways are you born again have you that is listening to me are you truthfully in your mind born again do you feel all the things that the Word of God lays upon you, living, thumping through your skull and your heart. Because the incorruptible is brought to us by the Word of God. And the Word of God is both this Bible that's before me and as it speaks of in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That's a capital W on that one. This is a small W that's in the King James, by the Word of God, which means, you know, you've been given this wonderful Bible, which shows us so many things, the depth of verse to verse. which liveth and abideth forever. The word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Not It doesn't end when all the uh, fiery conflagration that, that remakes this world and the, and the universe, that's, that's at the end of a thousand years and the end of the uh, final battle with Satan and he's tossed into hell. Uh, Peter speaks of that later of... Uh, 
how the world, it, it, you know, it says that this, this world be consumed or, or, or at least redeemed through fire. Verse 24, his word, again, abideth forever. That's the one thing. I, I did a message not long back on the enduring, the enduring uh, absolution of, or ab, the absolute enduring or endurance of God's word and his mercy, which endureth forever. That's in uh, Psalm 137. In that psalm, every verse speaks the word endureth forever. His mercy, I'm sorry, his mercy endureth forever. (sighs) We need to conform to the word of God and the will of God. That's not easy to do. That's all part of being born again. You know, it's not just like like my opening with a couple of those guys that talk about, you know, fear of God and, and the uh, walking with God, all that stuff. And as, as we've already seen, you know, we're, we're called to walk with God. Amos 3.3, 3, if, if, two, if two walk together, can they walk together if they're disagreeing? You have to agree with those you walk with. And it doesn't mean walk down a path together. I can walk on a sidewalk next to somebody I don't even know, you know, like say New York, where you're elbow to elbow with everybody, and I, I don't agree with the guy next to me. He could be anything, an atheist, a, a Hasidic Jew, or whatever. I don't agree with him. Homosexual, whatever. I mean, you're just stuck there. You're going to walk the same way because there's no room else to walk. But once you step off of that wide plateau, that wide, that wide path, onto a very narrow path, he who you walk, he whom, I guess it's whom, whatever, that you walk with on the narrow path, you've not been given a lot of room there. You have to walk as you agree with each other. Walking in agreement because if you don't agree it's not going to be a pleasant walk you might as well get back on the broad road and unfortunately a lot of people do when they start to see god asks so much of me he's not asking much from you at all it's just your faith your determination to do good in his eyes your determination to accept the righteousness of Christ and follow him. Pick up your cross daily and follow him. Uh, Those aren't easy things to do. We all will struggle. But we have a helper, a comforter named the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, who will aid you and abed you in getting on the track, on the path, staying on it, understanding this life is short. I don't care if you live to 110. If you if you know anybody that's lived long periods like that, 100 over 100 years, I, I have known one anyway. He was an uncle of mine. You, 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 you talk to him, and it's like, it went by fast. It went by fast, even at 80. Let's say you, you, everybody knows somebody 80. It went by fast. It's like a vapor is what James tells us in the fourth chapter of James, about verse 17, 16, 17. Your life passeth away like a vapor, a puff of smoke, steam coming out of the kettle, whatever. Verse 24 of First Peter also kind of reflects on that. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. 
Now, you know, like, you know, I'm using the King James. Uh, it's just because I, I, I know it better than I do any of the other versions. I feel like it's the one that fits me and helps me along as good as can be. James 4, 14. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. First John 2, 17. The world passeth away. And the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I I tell you, folks, not easy stuff sometimes when you when you look at it, because you know he's talking about the demise of man, the life of man. How long can man go? You know, whatever. Like I say if you live a hundred, you're still going to seem like it went by awfully quick. As we get older, my wife and I both have commented, and I've heard other folks in our age groups that say, man, where did this year go? I'm still trying to figure out where September of 2022 went. Are the days literally shorter? Now, I did hear a thing that they said that uh, it was like milliseconds, you know, 1.42 milliseconds shorter was the day the other day you know uh i don't know that's not a lot it would take a million years to make that seem like it really added up to anything but i do believe that as we get older maybe there's still 24 hours in a day but it just doesn't seem like it you know, you're older and you, you, you look around, there's so many things you want to do and you just, you don't have the energy and the time to do them. Therefore, the day just kind of slips away. But our life is like a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. I, I pray that these messages that we're doing right now can reach people even after I'm dead if if the Lord tarries and I die ahead of time. I, I hope that they endure for a period of time, that there's somebody that will look back, that, it, that there's something here that's worth listening to again, that, 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 that I leave something. Now, not, not for my gratification. I'm dead. I don't care. I've often said people get so worried about what they're going to leave behind uh, as far as their great wealth and what the people that are they're, they're going to leave it to are going to do with it. You're dead. Who cares? Uh, you know, if it all goes to the state and they steal it all, which they've been doing all of our lives anyway, whatever, take it. I have gone on to something so much better, I could care less what happens to the junk I leave behind. That corruptible stuff left behind. It doesn't endure. The Word of God endures. And I pray that when I bring these messages, when I, when I do any preaching anywhere, that there's a mind somewhere that snatched even just a little piece that led somebody to the Lord. That's, that's our main goal, is to lead people to Jesus. You know, we can take them by the hand and we can lead them all kinds of places, but only the Spirit of God can lead them to Jesus. And he leaves that awesome responsibility up to men to do it. And it is a very awesome responsibility. James also speaks, I think it's in James chapter 1, that let not many of you be masters, in other words, teachers, for you are held to a higher accountability. I don't just sit here and do this because I, I enjoy it, even though I do. I enjoy exposing the Word of God to people. I enjoy being able to do this. And, you know, I don't have a lot of platforms. I'm not 
in a in great demand out there in the Christian world to do revivals or whatever because I don't fit into denominational categories. I'm a Christian. When I preach, I preach the word of God. I don't tell tons of stories. I don't go into, you know, whatever to to make a point. I make the point with God's word. Why? Why not tell the stories and be more popular? I don't want to be popular. I just want to be obedient to God, to Jesus, to his word. Why? I'm going to read you why. Peter 1.25. 1 Peter 1.25. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. You want to break that one down, preacher? Pastor, whatever your name, whatever your title, is that what you're doing, preacher, pastor? I'm not talking to one guy in particular. I'm talking to many. The word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Anything else outside of God's word does not endure forever. Any analogy, and there's a, I'm, I'm not against, tr- trust me, I'm not against analogies. You know I use a lot of them. But when you use the word of God, the Bible, to bring knowledge of God and Jesus to the lost, that is giving them the gospel. That is bringing them to repentance. That is bringing them to salvation. Your repentance, that's a word that, whoa, we don't want to use that too much, do we? Because that makes people feel like they've done something wrong. Uh, we don't like to use a word like oh, salvation or being saved because all oh, these big tough guys, they, they, they don't think they need saved. They got it all handled. We got this under control. I even thought like that at one point in time. Yeah, well, maybe we need to slice off a little. Now don't. You need saved. If you're lost, if you know not Christ, you're lost. If you once time thought you knew God, but you live like the world, you're lost. I've been there. I backslid. I'm not afraid to admit it. A guy I used to listen to, and he's he's rather humorous in this uh, category of backsliding. He says, you know, there's a lot of folks that backslid. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to hell. I think it all depends on how far you backslid. You might have backslid right out of the faith altogether. But his his term was, you know, there's a lot of talk about backsliders, but the problem is a lot of a lot of folks never front slid. They never really had the encounter with God that many of us have had. They've never been to the altar, so to speak. And you know what? That doesn't mean it has to be in a church. It doesn't mean anything in particular. We we don't build our altars of stone and, and, and wood or copper or brass like God had them do in the Old Testament. Our altars are wherever we come to face-to-face with the Lord Jesus Christ on his terms. That's an altar. You could be by your bed, in your bed, out in the woods, walking around with, you know, going deer hunting, whatever. And all of a sudden, the power of the Holy Spirit comes over you. Maybe you haven't been living for Christ like you should. Maybe you've been walking in a different direction. You're not walking as two that are agreed. Maybe you're just, you know, hey, I I, I know about, you know, remember that if you've ever seen 
uh, crocodile Dundee and they talked to him about God and he said, Oh yeah, you know, I know about the, uh, the Jesus and the disciples and all them guys. He knows about them. And that's what a lot of people will say. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. I know all about God. You know about him. I want you to really, you know, and people say, Oh, you just pick at words too much. Words mean something. When you continually say things over and over again, I know about God. I know about Jesus. I know about the Bible. That just means, well, yeah, you know about them. You know, you don't, you're not completely daft when it comes to the things of God. You've been taught. You've been heard. You've had people witness to you. <clears throat> Excuse me. You've had people hand you a tract when you're out walking the street or left one on the table as a when, when when you go to the restaurant you throw one on the table for the waitress or the bus guy bus boy bus lady whatever you're allowed to bus person i, I got to make sure i'm politically correct right yeah you know about god there's a lot of difference between knowing about someone yet you know what if what if you just said oh yeah you know i know about my wife no, you know what? Know about her? You don't know her, or see, or see you? You just know about each other. Is that a marriage? That's just a friendship, maybe. You know, even if you say, "Well, I know about my friend," you know, when you get to know someone in the fle- in the flesh, in the in the earthly ideal here. You know, you get to know someone, you and you call them your friend, or you can even call them your brother and sister in Christ. Well, yeah, I know them. You know, you actually say, "I well, yeah, I know you know brother Bob there, brother Peter, or, you know whatever, sister Jane, I know her. Yeah, I know her. We we've had many dinners together, our families. We've gotten very acquainted. You don't say, "Oh, I just know about them." But unfortunately, in this world that we live in, in this society that we're a part of, you'll hear people say that over and over again. Oh, I know about God. What do you know about him? Oh, he's a man upstairs. We're, what we're going through here in First Peter, and I don't know if the, if the Lord's wanting me to go into Second Peter as well, Maybe, or maybe we'll go to Matthew. Who knows? I mean, I, I'm following the, the leading of Jesus at this point, the, the following the, what I believe the Holy Spirit is laid on my heart to do. And right now, the depth and the intenseness of the writings of a man who is on his way to his death this is the first and second Peter are being written by a man who is about to be crucified upside down. I want to lay something out there on that. You'll hear preachers tell you all oh, these guys, when they wrote their, their epistles and they put together the new Testament, they, they, they wrote it like they knew Jesus was coming back or that he, as if he would come back in their lifetime. Is that true of Peter? Jesus told him, when you are old, they will lift you up. You'll be taken against your will. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. You can read it in John chapter 21. Against your will, you'll be lifted up. You'll be killed. Paul knew he was going to die when he was writing his most of his epistles. He was writing as a man under bond. He was he'd been captured by the Romans and he was being taken to Rome. And his whole premise of going was Lord, let me at least talk to the emperor. Let me witness to him. And then they took him out and cut off his head. So when they tell you that these guys wrote these epistles as if 
Jesus could come in their in their lifetime. The, there's two right there, Paul and Peter, that knew for sure that wasn't going to happen. Again, why would they be given these awesome revelations 2,000 years ago if, you know, Jesus was going to come back in their short lifespan, even if they lived 100 years? These were set up to carry through the many decades to where we are now. And we don't know exactly yet. I don't know. I can't sit here and say, that Jesus is coming back before I leave this planet in death. I don't know. I'd like to see it. But I also would like to see that great, great uh, revival of souls, true revival, not these ones we see with, you know, everybody come down here at once and we're going to say a prayer with you. You know, even if it's small revivals in pockets here and there of, 14, 15, you know, 20, 100 people, and you see the true repentance and the true uh, thirst for holiness and the true run to God. Like the prodigal son ran to, or or no, actually he didn't. He was walking, and his father ran to him and said, "Put, put a robe on his back. Put a finger on it. Put a put a finger on his ring. Put a ring on his finger. Slow the fatted calf. Slew. I'm really having trouble now. As we draw towards the end here, but you know, you know the story of the prodigal son. The father ran to him and he says, "This is my son who is dead, and now is alive. He's always been his son. So you know, he had some vestige of salvation there, didn't he?" When we come back the next time, which I don't know when it'll be. I got a busy weekend. Today was a nasty, rainy day here in Ohio. and had a few moments, and I really wanted to get through First Peter chapter 1. Not because I want to rush, but because, you know, I don't want you to get bored with it. Don't. It's, this, is, this is where a lot of what we've not been taught in churches is landing you know, you're not, you're just giving fluffing stuff and sent out the door. I'm not going to fluff you and I'm not going to stuff you. I'm going to show you, I'm going to feed you the, the word of God and it's going to be meat. There may be some milk there to help wash it down, but it's meat. This is meat of the word. When we come back the next time, we'll be in First Peter chapter 2. Amen, right? Wherefore, laying aside, this is verse 1, wherefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious friends and neighbors i am so happy to be with you today i'm so happy that we can uh, at least kind of draw a close I, you know there's a lot of first peter chapter one that i may have not glossed over but didn't go as deep as i could have Uh, we're we're gonna go we're gonna go after First Peter chapter two. As a matter of fact, I still had a page of notes here that I didn't hit. But you never know. We'll roll back around again. If you use commentaries when you read your Bible and and all that kind of thing you'll notice they're skewed more towards that guy's belief system. They're skewed towards his denominational and doctrinal, if they be straight up. And uh, I've noticed that. I've had to really go to the Lord and just say, well, help me to connect through the Bible 
these different ideas. And that's the best way to do it. Use your Bible. Commentaries are great, but keep a wide open mind about it. Until next time, Tom Richardson with Removing Confusion Ministries International. I look forward to the next time we can come together and if it be God's will. Holy Father, well, he's made me.